everyone, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a podcast about giving you tips and strategies that you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. I do apologize for kicking Josh into the warp again. You really gotta stop doing that to him. I know he's evil, but like... I, I think I tripped, and the Damon Hammer got involved, and ah. You honestly shouldn't be carrying a Damon Hammer around, because, I mean, let's be fair, those things are a lot of points these days. It's a dread Damon Hammer. Okay, that is fewer points for some reason, but even so... So yes, uh, as you will probably have noticed, we are unfortunately missing Josh this week, but that doesn't mean that we won't have an episode, it just means it'll be a little bit less talky than usual. You talk enough for four people, Sean. Yes, but Josh won't be talking in the background. (laughs) So, uh, one thing that had been on my mind recently that uh, I thought might be sort of interesting to look at is uh, what we're going to see for the rest of the year here coming from Games Workshop. Because we're at the point where basically everyone has a codex. Not quite two, technically Sisters of Battle don't, and a handful of other small factions, but essentially everyone. Uh, And they're even adding in them for the, the small books, like we know Renegade Knights will have a codex here fairly soon. Yep. Which leaves us with the question of what Games Workshop is going to be doing for their release schedule for the next six months to a year. So I suspect we're going to be seeing some more campaign books, Olive Villages. Yes, certainly they're going to keep doing the campaign books. Those seem to be selling relatively well. They seem to be relatively well liked by the players and they give options for open narrative and matched play. So it's kind of a little bit of something for everyone. Exactly. And the other thing they do is they haven't quite covered all of the factions as far as adding in the kind of spend a CP and get a formation with special command points and relics. Yes. We already know that there is going to be a third Vigilist book. They've announced that officially, even though they haven't given us a date for it yet. But uh, that is apparently going to cover some of the minor factions in system on one of the other planets. We can presume that some of the other Xenos races and some of the Imperial and Chaos factions that haven't been covered already will get some stuff there. Mm-hmm. And it would only make sense if they release some more of them that we will see a, a different set of focus for the other books. So we can certainly presume those much are going to be appearing as well. I suspect there's also going to be, they did mention this at Elvio last year, they are looking into re-releasing early codexes and kind of bringing them up to speed with some of the later releases. Yeah, we know that Space Marines and Grey Knights, at the very least, are getting a book. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would not be particularly shocking if, say, Chaos Demons or a handful of the others did. Yeah. They seem to be especially focusing on both the very early books and the books that have seen a lot of updates in other sources. Yes, as well as books that are just not performing well, because Games Workshop is actually aware of performance of factions to some degree. Yeah, they obviously, like they said, we realize GK are not kind of up to snuff and we'd like to do something with that, but the the Chaos book doesn't necessarily bode super well for that, because they didn't really change anything other than making it worse in a couple of ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, Cultists lost some stuff, they tweaked a few things, but the actual... Chaos Marines re-release was mostly not good for them. Underwhelming, to put it mildly. Yeah, of course Vigilus helped that a lot, and brought them much more in line with what some of the other factions have been sitting at, which is why you're seeing Chaos do so well these days. But the book itself was kind of like, is this what we're going to be getting? I hope not. Mm-hmm. I suspect that considering they were releasing an admech transport maybe they're going to flush out some of those smaller factions with a little bit more stuff just because you need to add models to keep things interesting yeah and besides the whole primaris marine thing there and some of like the chaos stuff that's been crossed over from major sigmar there hasn't been a lot of super huge 40k releases besides sisters that's their big one yeah it's it's interesting because they have largely not done many model releases which is kind of understandable like they want to get the books out so that everyone has a competent set of rules before they worry too much about putting out new sets of models because obviously 40k is in a very different place than age of sigmar 40k already has lots of models sigmar was kind of lacking in that respect yes 
But now that they have nearly completed the books, it does free them up to do a lot of that. So it raises the question, like, are they going to fill out the various small factions, as you mentioned? Are they going to release new sub-factions? We've certainly heard lots of speculation about, say, a Emperor's Children or World Eaters standalone book, which are certainly not impossible, or perhaps a Croup Mercenaries or Tau Allies book. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of potential for smaller additional factions being added into the game. Fleshing out the Inquisition or Sisters of Silence is also very possible. Mm -hmm. But it's it's an interesting conundrum, kind of like looking at like what Games Workshop has and asking like, okay, where are they going to go from here? Yeah, and it could be entirely possible they're like, we're creating a whole new Xenos race from the ground up because their universe certainly would allow that. It's possible, although if we're being honest, I'd rather not see that because there are so many factions in the game that could already use some more help in terms of models. It's very much possible for them to do that, but then it, it adds yet another under-supported faction to the game, which I'm not a fan of. Yes. I do hope what they spend time doing and what they're hopefully doing a bit with the Sisters faction is really fleshing out that faction in detail since they're giving it a whole new model line. Yes. Uh, and it, in that respect, the Sisters are in theoretically a good place because since they're making the models from basically whole cloth, they have a lot more freedom in what they want to add to them. Exactly. Hopefully, Sisters get several new units that are not just another version of a lady in power armor, because they already have six units like that. They don't need any more. It'd be fun to see some bikes, maybe an equivalent of Sisters Scouts, kind of Novate. Yeah. In earlier editions, there had been uh, essentially like mobs, just like normal humans who were all whipped into a frenzy that were uh, a unit for Sisters. In the fluff, they have neophytes, the, the sort of equivalent of their scouts. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of potential for other units they could add, and, you know, presumably the Sisters of Battle have more than three vehicles in their armory. You'd think. Um, so there, there's a lot of room to flesh them out there and to flesh out the other factions. So I'm hoping Games Workshop starts to take advantage of that now that sort of the initial press of 8th edition is largely wrapped up. Yeah, that's my hope too. I mean, the Grey Knights Codex could sure crap using more units in it. Yeah, well, it has a lot of problems. So, talking about probability and possibility, let's get into the main subject of our episode here, which is Math Hammer. Yay! A subject that is near and dear to the hearts of most of all of us here on the podcast, as we're pretty much all science and technology majors to some degree, mm -hmm. and have quite a bit of experience with this sort of thing. But for a lot of people playing the game, that's not necessarily true. No, and a lot of people are intimidated by math, and that's partly because math's not taught very well. Yes. The, the first thing we want to lead out with here is that if you are the sort of person who didn't enjoy math in high school and, and hated your math courses and whatnot and think, well, well, I can't do any of this, I'm terrible at math, it's like, okay, you don't have to be afraid of it. Like, Certainly some of this stuff can get very complicated, but it doesn't need to be complicated. There are some very basic calculations that you can do, and there are tools that are available to help you do them. Exactly. Turns out people have made programs that run the math for you, so you don't even have to worry about making a mistake. Yeah. You just have to punch in the numbers and enter. We will be linking a number of these in the episode link here. It will be in the description as well as in the Facebook posts and whatnot, so you all have access to that. There are a number of them that you can use. Some of them are downloadable apps for your phone or whatnot, but there are also several web-based apps that I use. Dice Hammer is perhaps my favorite. I find it's really good for comparing different sets of math. It lets you just sort of input your ballistic skill, your uh, weapon profile, and the number of models, and all that sort of thing, and then it gives you a spread of numbers that you can, you know, for targeting different things. If you're, say, a, uh, you know, toughness 3, 4-up save, tough, and you can do that, and then it also has functions for comparing across different sets of things. So if you want to see, like, how much damage does an auto cannon do compared to a las cannon, then it can tell you that sort of stuff. Yes, and what are the optimal targets for your gun and things like that. Yes. We talked about earlier how guns have kind of optimal targets. Well, this math hammer helps you figure out what that is if you don't know. 
Absolutely. Let's talk about the term math hammer a little bit and what we mean when we say that. Because, like, math hammer, that's Warhammer math, I guess? So, math hammer is basically the data of the numbers. Yeah, it's the ability to calculate various kinds of statistics, whether they be average results, likely results, probability tables, or or what have you. But it, it generally is used to refer to the process of calculating out some facet or another of the game. It's also sometimes used in a kind of derogatory fashion of like, oh, that's just math hammer, which to say like, well, that's just, you know, calculating numbers, but it tells you nothing about the reality of the game. And that can be a fair criticism. But the reality is that like we all use math hammer mm-hmm. in order to make choices about units because we all know that a las cannon is good at killing a tank and a bolt gun is bad. And we know that because we can calculate out what the likely results of them are. Yes, most people have what I would call an intrinsic sense of Math Hammer, whether or not they're consciously aware of it. Yeah, at the very least, you have played the game and you have intuitions about what happens when you shoot various weapons. But there are limits to intuition because your sort of anecdotal data like that is not necessarily a good predictor of how things actually happen or what is likely to occur. So, for example, uh, this is something that comes up a lot in Math Hammer discussions is the statistical average is not what your dice are going to give you because you're not rolling enough of them to make your dice be statistically average. Yes. We do Um, not hit what's called the law of averages. We'll go into that later in the episode. But I'm going to comment that because we don't hit that, anecdotes are just, just that, anecdotes. Little asides, little moments. Yeah, and human beings are also very bad at grasping probability from their experiences, because your brain is designed to more readily highlight specific kinds of experiences. So you will notice when you roll badly, but you usually don't notice when you roll well. That's why we want to use these statistical tools and these math-based tools that have very definite, explicit answers to what is likely to happen in a given situation rather than relying on kind of soft and fuzzy feelings about, like, well, my meltaguns always miss. The reality is, your meltaguns miss about one-third of the time, just like everyone else's. Yes. So, let's talk a little bit about probability itself, and sort of the the tools we're going to be using here. We're not going to get really deep into the actual process of doing this math. That is a really boring episode. Also, I'm bad at statistics, but I'm perfectly fine with calculus. Yeah. Don't worry about, like, all right, now everyone calculate your sum over sigma. It's like, no, no, we're not going to be doing any of that. We're going to talk in broad terms. If you want to actually look up how to do these this kind of math, there are very good resources available online from dozens of different sources for, for teaching purposes. And if you want to learn a little bit about how to do this sort of thing, then you can very easily pick that sort of stuff up. As Shailen mentioned, like, it's kind of taught fairly poorly in most schools, so it doesn't hurt you to go back and get kind of a a crash course in things to refresh some of this stuff, you know, calculating fractions and all that kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. Or you can always email Josh, he actually has a statistics degree. Yep. We're going to talk about a number of things, and I wanted to sort of make some points at the, the top of the episode here about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. One of them that trips up a lot of people is percentages. Oh, yeah. Because English is bad and confusing. So if I have something that happens, say, like three times in a hundred, and it's like I discover, oh, with this piece of war gear, if I I take the upgrade, it now happens six times in a hundred. How much of an increase is that? Some people will tell you, oh, that's a 3% increase. And they're right. It is. It's also a 100% increase, depending on the context. Yes. And this is a discussion I have had with a number of people who had problems grasping this. That percentages can be framed in a number of different ways. So be careful when you're talking about percentages. It's very easy to get into, you know, it's 20%. No, it's 40%. It's like, well, you may both be right when you say that, depending on the math in question and the exact example you're using. 
basically percentages are relative, so you need to make sure you frame the context correct. Yeah. If you don't know what it's relative to, how can you talk about what the relativity is? Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask questions when you're having this discussion. Like, I'm confused. Don't be afraid to say that, because you're only going to get worse on your confusion if you don't actually ask that question. Yes. It helps a lot, too. It's like if someone gives you a number and you're like, well, that doesn't sound right, ask them to clarify. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people will just sort of, like, say, like, well, this weapon has a 93% chance of doing the thing, and it's like... How did you come to that number? Mm -hmm. Because if you can break it down and look at where the number came from, you may find that they've made an error. People do that fairly often. You may also find that they're entirely correct and the weapon is just better than you thought it was. Mm -hmm. Um, That's also useful to know. Yes. You want to know how to do these calculations yourself, ideally. You don't necessarily have to do them yourself. That's why I suggest using those math hammer tools, the, you know, dice hammer, fields of blood math hammer, or whatever else you you decide to go with, because it's very tedious to do them yourself all the time. But understanding how to do them and how you get that result is very important because it lets you know what failure points are and what the assumptions you're making are. Yes. The other thing it does is even if you're not really good at calculating it yourself, is you can learn the theory behind the calculations. Now what you're doing is, making a math analogy here, you're working the derivative, which is super powerful. Rather than working the speed, you're working the car's acceleration. Right. And, And the important thing here is not the math itself. It's understanding what that math means. And that's the really critical thing with with math hammer and that we want to talk about it's not important that you can multiply six by 0.2 by three quarters by whatever Mm -hmm. none of that is relevant to the game what's important is you understand what the outcome of all that is is that you realize that ah i have multiplied these numbers and this means that actually no bolt guns are bad at killing this or it turns out the heavy bolter is your ideal weapon here or whatever whatever other outfall of the math is mm-hmm. it you... turns out silencers are better at killing tanks than side cannons yep there's lots of weird not necessarily intuitive stuff like that in the game and math is how we try to come to that understanding so that's why you need to understand how the math works You don't have to do it all yourself, but you need to know how it gets to that result. Yes. The last other thing that I wanted to put out here is that a lot of times, because of the way we're working with stuff, you end up with fractional values, you know, 0.7 wounds or, you know, two and a half dead space marines. Mm Mm-hmm. For some reason, a lot of people get weird about this. And they're like, well, you can't have 0.7 of a wound. It's like, yeah, we know. This is an abstraction. And Math Hammer is, by its very nature, an abstraction. It does not represent a real result in the game most of the time. It is a calculation we do to sort of grasp at what is likely. Here's what I do, actually. Mm-hmm. is rather than dealing with the decimal place or fraction, is you should look at it as a band of possibilities, so sure. to speak. This might be more helpful for you if you're a little more concerned of that. Let's just take some Grey Knights firing storm bolters, for example. Right. Ballistic scale three up. They got four shots each. Mm-hmm. That means that they hit between two to three times per storm bolter in right. storm bolter range. And that's what you should know. You don't yeah. need to worry about the fraction. You just need to go, each guy's going to hit about two to three times. There I go. How right. many guys in the squad? And the fraction is useful when you are calculating more precise things. Like if you're firing a whole squad, you need to know what that between two and three number is. Because between two and three is not accurate enough when you're dealing with larger samples like that. But if it does help you to grasp it and say like two to three, you're right. It's somewhere between two and three. Mm-hmm. Um, we can calculate though what that exact value is, but it may not necessarily be important to you in a given situation. No, and it might help you to look at that in kind of the, the mental space, because we're going to yeah. talk about what's not that unlikely a result. So knowing that you only hit two per guy is not that unlikely. Right. So next let's get into the the other big fallacy I see with Math Hammer. It's not the under-reliance, which we've already talked about a bunch of the people who are uncomfortable with things. It's the over-reliance on Math Hammer. 
Ah. Because there is a lot of that out there. So should we talk about the law of averages right now really quick? I think this is a good yeah, time to talk about this. Let's, let's go ahead and hit that one first. So the way law of averages was best explained to me, and I love this anal- this metaphor because it's fantastic, is you have Mad Lady Coin Flipper. Mm-hmm. She is going to flip a coin 3,000 times. And when you actually flip a coin 3,000 times, it turns out it's like heads about about 52% of the time it's heads. Mm-hmm. Just because the more you flip the coin, the more likely your thing is going to go to your statistically calculated average result. But it's never actually going to hit that. Or it probably won't be. Yeah. It's not that it will never, but it's probably not going to be. Yeah. Um, so if you have a sample size of 10, 10 flips, it's entirely possible she gets heads like seven times or 10 yeah it's not that improbable that you get 10 heads out of 10 flips because that's a small sample size yeah Um, it's still unlikely that that happens but it is very plausible that it does exactly so when you push it out to 3000 you're looking at a sample size that's much more stable she's not going to flip heads 3000 times except in fantastically rare cases that we can basically pretend never occur. Exactly. So the other thing here is in 40k, think about how many dice you're rolling going to go. Like, you're rolling, I don't know, like... 6 to 20 is 6 to 20 typical. is very typical for people. 24 to 30 if you're looking at kind of the higher ends. But even so, these are small samples. So weird things happen, and that's normal and to be expected. They do. And also remember that quote-unquote average is the single most likely result, but the average most of the time does not happen because there are more things that can happen other than the average than the average. Exactly. So, you know, rolling a 7 on 2d6 is the single most likely result, but you only have a 1 in 6 chance to roll a 7. Yes, because it turns out other things happen. Yeah, 5 6 of the time, you won't roll average. So it can be very easy to say, like, oh, you know, that I didn't roll average. Well, no, of course you didn't. Usually you do not roll average. Mm-hmm. That is the sort of paradox of being average. Yes, and over the course of maybe a year's worth of 40k, your dice will demonstrate statistical averages. Mm-hmm. But in a particular game, or even at a particular tournament, probably not. Almost certainly not perfectly average. They will be some amount above or below that. Mm-hmm. And flip-flopping within a game. I've seen it. It's yeah. just like, ah, I just hit a bunch of things with Overwatch, and I just failed all my armor saves. Let's also address some, some gambler's fallacy here, because lots of people feel that, you know, well, I rolled low there, so I'm on a bad streak. I'm going to keep rolling low. Or I rolled low, so my dice will go hot next, and I'll roll well. Mm. All of that is nonsense. If it helps you to say that, and it allows your, you to deal with the mental aspect of the game, by all means, go ahead and tell that to yourself. It can be comforting to say, like, well, I rolled badly, but that means I'll roll well next. But that is not actually true. That is not how dice work. If crazy coin flip lady flips a coin and gets ten heads in a row, the next time she flips a coin, it is no more likely to be heads than it is tails, just like before. Yep. The dice have no memory. You do not have good or bad luck. And also, dice roll about one in six for each face of them. Even bad dice, even the super mediocre Chessex dice, which are not particularly well tested, those are a handful of percentage points off of statistical I read a article where a statistician teacher sent his grad students out to roll a bunch of different types of 40k dice, mm-hmm. and Chessex dice are back to that, like, 3 of 100 versus 6 of 100. Mm-hmm. They're like 6 of 100 worse, as opposed to the 3 of 100 worse than Vegas dice, so it's like, it's the same. The difference is quite trivial. I've seen a lot of people talking about, like, you know, some guy who's done a report, and it turns out that Chessex dice roll one-third ones. That's nonsense. That is absolute bonkers nonsense. It's not true. No. I, let me tell you this. If you were rolling one-third ones on your dice, you would notice every single time. And your opponent would, too. Your yes. opponent would be baffled. Yes. 
there's no quote-unquote weight to dice. They won't go hot or cold or any of that sort of thing. That's just not how dice and probability work. Or you could be like Josh and you could get like the super high engineer dice that are even tighter than they need to be. Mm -hmm. I know Josh is a big fan of those because he, he feels it gives him, you know, close to that statistical probability. Reese also really enjoys using casino dice for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. Different set of dice, but same sort of approach to it. If you do that, I don't blame you or anything like that, but understand that even just your run-of-the-mill, pulled-them-out-of-a-board-game dice are really not all that different. No. So, with all of that said, let's get into the other half of this subject, which is, like, what, do you, what should you do with Math Hammer? Because there are people who use Math Hammer as a way to write their list, essentially. They'll say, you know, I have chosen the six most statistically effective units, and they are all perfectly suited to their job, and nothing can be more efficient than this. I'm gonna tell you what, that list is probably bad. Yeah? What jobs were you thinking of them doing? Because you consider getting onto objectives? Or did right. you consider surviving? It turns out there's a lot of factors there, and that mass assumption is like, you just forgot about 18 variables, good luck. Yes, and, and that is the first thing I would say is, you know, Math Hammer is a great tool for understanding the game. It allows you to sort of work past your intuitions, like we said earlier. But it does not take everything into account. It can't take everything into account. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. How You can't calculate stratagems. Because you can certainly, you can say, well, when I use this stratagem, it increases my damage output by 8%. And that's true. Mm -hmm. uh, but how many command points do you have? And how many times per game will you need to do that? And how many units do you have? And all of this. So stratagems and many of the other factors unit abilities limited use things you know once per game abilities it's like do you count that in do you not count that in there's so many assumptions that you're making there and those assumptions influence what your outcome is going to be so if you say well of course i count in my once per game ability because i'm going to use it on the first turn and that's the most important time mm -hmm. oh, and maybe you're right that's that's not a wholly unreasonable assumption to make but then that doesn't tell you anything about what happens on turn five. No. What happens on turn five is also important. Yes. And I will point out that you can theoretically build a statistical model that would model an entire game of 40k, but you are probably talking about needing a god dang supercomputer because it's crazy huge. You say, you know, quote unquote, you could do it. I know I couldn't do it. And I don't know anyone who could. One could. With yes. Enough, with enough grad students that are underpaid, a, I suspect. A theoretical person could spend several years developing that model. But even then, like, even the best of our AIs struggle to do a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, the, the StarCraft AIs and whatnot that they built really struggle with a lot of factors. And those are only more prevalent in 40k. Mm -hmm. The very first thing I would say is check your assumptions, because there are so many assumptions that you have to make. I mean, just think about a bolter firing at a guy. Is he in range? Is he in rapid-fire range? Did you stand still or not? Does he have cover? Do you have a reroll aura nearby? Right, and all of those are assumptions which you can make a very reasonable say, and like, oh, of course he's in range, otherwise I wouldn't be rolling this. And it's like, okay, yeah, fair. Did you stand still or not? And it's like, well, my army usually stands still, so I'm going to assume I did. And that's fair, but you are making assumptions there, and those assumptions will not always be true. So when you say you have found the most statistically efficient thing with Math Hammer that is only true for the set of assumptions you have made. And those assumptions may not always be the case. Like assuming that we're going to actually get to roll call on time. Right. Well, there is also that. Which, speaking of, we should probably get moving right about now. Uh, yep, yep. Siren just went off. Yes. We'll catch you all on the flip half of the episode. <gasps> Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god! 
let me tell you about this amazing tournament I went to last year. It was the Boardroom Brawl GT in Grand Forks, Canada. This year, they're doing it again, August 3rd and 4th. It includes a post-game barbecue on Saturday, which is the best social thing ever. Also, fantastic terrain that is just super cool and kooky and engaging and some of the most finest players you will ever meet. Totally worth the trip to Canada for. Please go, guys. They're Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. And we are back just in time to start the second half of things here, making it by a hair. You know, sometimes that's all you need. So, let's talk a little bit about some of the more specific uses of Math Hammer here, because we, we've talked sort of broadly about it in the first half of the episode, but there's there are a lot of specific cases and specific kinds of math that I think are worth talking about. Yeah, so going back to a way back episode where I mentioned on target priority where I was using like I always overshoot a little bit mm -hmm. to compensate for the fact that my brain always remembers really positive experiences that's a bias human brains have so the numbers aren't as good as I think they are so I compensate by overkilling things and over dedicating by about 20% yeah and I think that is a very common as most people think they will they should do better than they will. We've talked about this before mm -hmm. in the episode Shaylin mentioned as well as a number of others I know. yeah you think about a las cannon or a rhino, and most people are like, oh, las cannons are good against rhinos. Not even half the time does a las cannon wound a rhino, and that's to say nothing of how much damage it deals. Yeah, because it misses a third of the time, it fails to wound a third of the time. And they save a, th a sixth of them. Like, everyone's like, oh, six up, they'll just fail that. Well, sometimes they'll pass it. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. It takes three bolt guns to kill one guardsman. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, yeah, guardsmen are real easy to kill with bolt guns. Three tactical marines kill one guardsman. Doesn't feel great understand as we're going into all of this that your brain is going to tell you well these numbers are way too low but it's your brain that's wrong not the numbers or rather your intuitive sense yes again this is why it's important to calculate this rather than relying on your assumptions and when you've calculated it and you understand the bias of your internal sense you can compensate for it because you know what the bias is you're like i feel i need this much great i'm gonna add about this much percent more and go Right. And that's what a lot of this is for, is for working to counter your internal biases. So, I mean, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, averages and all that. So let's let's start out right there on the uh, average or expected outcome. Yes. Mean, median. They're all different. They are, and they all have their own weird quirks. You know, the mean, or what most people call the average of a sequence can vary kind of weirdly. So you get things like 2, 2, 2, 100, and the mean is like 27. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, that's... Okay, that doesn't seem right, but, I mean, that's that's what you get. Whereas otherwise, you, you get, uh, you know, your median, which is the most common result. Yeah. Uh, so 1, 2, 2, 2, 100 will give you 2, which feels right, but then it completely ignores the fact that there's a 100 in there. Yes. So understand that these all kind of have their own little, like, weird failings and whatnot that you, if you understand how they're calculated, you can understand when those failings are important. Yes, and that's why they have multiple ways to approach the problem, as stated in my statistics class. Right. Was the reason why we have means and medians is because 
they can tell you really weird stuff, yeah, which they, is why you need to look at both of them. They each tell you a different thing. The, the one we most commonly use in 40k is uh, what's typically called expected outcome. Yeah. Which is essentially sort of split right down the middle. So your expected outcome for a bolt gun shooting at a guardsman is .33 wounds. That's why it takes three of them to kill one guardsman, on yep. average. Mm-hmm. Um, expected outcome is really good for getting you a general feeling for what is going to happen. You know, what is going to be the most likely result of this weapon? Yes. When you shove things into the calculators, they'll give you those expected outcomes. Right. And this is where you get your, you know, well, I shoot and I hit two-thirds of the time, I wound two-thirds of the time, and they pass one-third of their saves. That's how you're calculating your expected outcome on things. Mm -hmm. Because that is what will happen most of the time. If you roll a very large number of dice, that is your expected results. Mm -hmm. But that said, there's a lot of things that this does not account for. It does not easily account for variance, which is actually kind of a really big thing, and probably the next one we should talk about. Yes. So, variance is described in statistics officially by the Greek letter sigma. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll hear Shay talking about a three sigma problem, which is something way outside. Like when we talked about the hundred there we were ignoring, that hundred's a three sigma. Yes. Sigma, in this case, is talking specifically about standard deviations. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Standard deviation is actually kind of complex to calculate. We're not going to really go into all of that here because it's just a waste of all of your time. The important thing is to understand what standard deviation means, which it's a way of measuring how close to the average things are and how many of them fall under common results. So one standard deviation, 70% of your results should fall within that much. So if you're, you know, if your average is 34 and you say you have a standard deviation of 5, 75% or 70% of your results should be between 29 and 39. That mm-hmm. is one standard deviation away from your average. Yes, and that's actually why they describe tolerances of certain things. Uh, they're like plus or minus this. That's the standard deviation, basically. Yes. And you can talk about multiple standard deviations out from that. Then you can say, well, okay, 90% of it is going to fall under two standard deviations, or I think it's 95%, actually. I don't remember. Um, And then, you know, three standard deviations should cover 99% of your results. And when you start getting outside of three standard deviations, then it's just at that point you're getting nonsense results, basically. Yes, and the way they look at it is is in the standard deviations. Like, if you do, are familiar with audio editing at all, like I've become, hmm. what a limiter does is it takes things that are outside of two or three standard deviations of where the sound is and chops them off for you. So if you have any unexpected spikes, it goes away. That's a way of describing what this is looking like. Yeah. The important thing here is to understand what your likely spread is. The bigger your standard deviation is and the bigger your spread and results are, the more variance and the more randomness you're going to have. You see this a lot with things like D6 damage weapons. Yes. You know, if you have a weapon with fixed damage 2 and or fixed damage 3, let's say, to make it a little bit simpler for the example, mm-hmm. and a weapon with D6 damage, they have about the same average. Yes. Uh, they're they're pretty close in there, and if you sort of s- set all other parameters the same, then you might say, like, well, both of these weapons have been shooting at this given target have an average damage of 4.7 for the squad. That's like, okay, that's good to know. You figured out what the average is, but the standard deviation on those, the variance and the randomness is going to be very different, because... That D6 damage weapon, you might get four hits through and four wounds and they fail four saves and you're feeling great and then you roll one, 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 two. Yeah. Whereas once you have gotten to that stage, that damage three weapon just deals 12 damage. There's no variance at that level at all. And this is why you often see tournament players kind of tend to steer away from D6 damage or D6 shot weapons, because they have very high variance, which is to say they have very high standard deviations. Yes. Swingy is a great way to describe that. A yes. swingy weapon. It's hot and cold. It's all over the place. A squad of five melting guns might do zero damage, or it might do 37 damage. 
and that can be very awkward when you are actually trying to destroy a target because if you if you go back and you think about that like okay what's my 95% probability what's you know going to happen most of the time that squad of three damage weapons, their small standard deviation is like 95% of the time, I will deal, say, six or nine damage. Mm-hmm. That squad of Meltaguns with their D6 is going to have a much, much higher spread. It's like 95% of the time, I will deal between three and 24 damage. And you can see why when you're trying to plan a turnout... You can say, like, okay, what's likely to happen? And the three damage weapon is like, okay, I know what's likely to happen. And the D6 damage weapon is you're basically just throwing your hands in the air saying, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yes. And that's why uh, certain weapons, such as uh, going back to the Dreadnought Demon Hammer we mentioned way, way earlier in the episode, has a uh, limiter on it. It can't be worse than three. So its standard deviation is still swingy, but it's swingy in a good way, so we don't care. Right. This is where, you know, one of the ways that just calculating the average can fail you a lot is it doesn't tell you anything about variance, and variance is very important for tournament play. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn some more about variance, I'd recommend picking up an army full of multi-damage weapons, like the D3s and the D6s. They'll teach you a lot about how much this sucks. I would instead recommend picking up a quick crash course on statistics and staying away from that army, because the (laughs) statistics course is going to set you back a lot less time in frustration. (laughs) The last little thing to to tack on here, we don't work with enormous sample sizes, as Shaylin mentioned earlier. Like, Mm -hmm. we're we're dealing with relatively small rolls of somewhere between 1 and 30 dice in most cases. Yes. Uh, Over the course of a game, you'll roll... Maybe a thousand dice in total. That's not a particularly large number, but it is a large enough number that you are going to see some very unlikely results. Um, you will probably see a result that is all ones somewhere in your game, mm-hmm. even if it's only like three or four dice. Is that a very unlikely result? It is. Rolling four ones on four dice is actually quite unlikely. Yes. But if you just keep rolling dice, you will eventually get it. And we roll a lot of dice. It's like the whole, you know, if you have an infinite amount of monkeys and an infinite amount of time, they'll eventually type out the words of William Shakespeare's and complete works. Yes. We have a lot of monkeys and typewriters. And this is why you do see these weird results. As everyone has that game story where, like, something incredibly improbable happens. Like you killing the Tyranid thing. Right, my, a squad of Kroot one-shotting a monstrous creature in a single turn, and, and that sort of thing. That sort of thing can happen, and the reason you see it is because we roll enough dice that weird results crop up. So even though that particular weird result is very unlikely, chances are you will get some kind of weird result, even if it's not game-significant. You know, if you roll ten dice, it is possible that you will roll one two three four five six five four three it's not very likely and it doesn't mean anything in the game but it can happen because you will just get those weird results yes when i roll six dice i'm not expecting to roll one two three four five six ever that's quite unlikely in fact i know most people aren't expecting to roll like straight effectively no but weird rolls do happen and they happen pretty often in this game Mm-hmm. So let's talk about uh, another useful sort of thing we look at in this game, which is the chance of getting a particular kind of outcome. This one requires a little bit more in-game knowledge than just math, mm-hmm. because we typically care about getting a particular outcome or better, because no one cares about the chance of doing exactly three wounds to Mortarian. The question is, if Mortarian is at three wounds, what are my chances of doing at least three wounds to him. Yes. So this is something we use fairly often. Again, this falls back on using some of that expected outcome and stuff like that. Again, the math here is a little more complicated. I'm not going to do it all because it's not interesting or fun or listenable. But there are certainly ways to calculate that, and many of the tools that I talked about earlier are very good at calculating these results. And if you say input a particular weapon profile and a particular defensive profile, they'll tell you, you know, your chances of doing three or more wounds is 32% or whatever the number may be. 
Another thing to also know, kind of related to this, is how modifiers affect things. Because I believe if you have a negative modifier, it makes something 13% worse. It's a little bit closer to 15, and also that falls back on the earlier, uh, you know, is that 3% or 100% discussion? Yeah. Yes, but modifiers do change your numbers a lot, especially because they affect how rerolls happen. Mm-hmm. Rerolls are also a thing that a lot of people get confused about, because they'll look at a reroll and it's like, well, this reroll makes me 30% like more likely to do something. It's like, ooh, well, I'm already 70% likely, that means I hit every time. It's like, no, you don't. That's not how it works. It um, just makes that more on the lines of like eighty-five percent likely. Yes, because what you what you have is this sort of uh, decreasing utility where rerolls and modifiers and other things. The more of them you stack on, presuming you are not, you don't you can't have a guaranteed success, which most things in forty k can't. You know, or one always fails. Mm-hmm. Um, they make it increasingly likely that you will succeed, but by a smaller amount each time. Yes. So stacking modifiers on tends to be successively less useful the more of them you add. It's also why flamer weapons and other auto-hit weapons aren't fixed shot, and why they have a random number of shots is to compensate for, is to make them more balanced. Yes, the the theory behind them is that, you know, you're losing one source of ramness but gaining another. We're not going to talk too much about the game theory of that here, because that's a whole other subject for an episode. (laughs) Yes, but that is why the math looks that way and why those things come that way, is there's actually a conscious decision there. Sure. Figuring out the the probability for a particular outcome, you know, what are my chances of killing Mortarian, or what are my chances of succeeding this charge, is often a multi-step process. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're not typically making a single calculation, you're probably making several. For example, if your squad of orc boys is like, okay, I am 20 inches away from someone, and I want to charge them with my orc boys, what are my chances I succeed the charge? It's like, okay, well, you move 4 inches, and then you advance d6 inches... And then you charge 2d6 inches. Yeah. Depending on what you roll for that first advance roll, the charge roll you need will be different. It's not just, I effectively charge 3d6 inches. It's actually a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. But, that said, again, there are ways to do these calculations and tools you can use to figure them out. But understand that there's typically several steps involved to a lot of these, what are my chances of accomplishing a particular goal? If I have a rhino at 10 wounds, what are my chances of killing it with this many autocannons or this many meltaguns or what have you? You're going to need to go through several layers of math in order to do that. But this is one of the most useful calculations you can do because it tells you what you actually want to know, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what are my chances of succeeding? If you need to wipe out a squad and you want to say, like, okay, how many guns do I need to point at them? to wipe them out, you can say, like, okay, well, do I need a 70% chance to wipe them out, or a 90% chance to wipe them out, or a 95, or a 99? Mm -hmm. Because as we've talked about in the past, if you lose the game, if you don't kill that squad this turn, you would better be going for that 99% chance. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's just, well, my opponent scores a point, and that means he gets hold more... I'll have to make that up on a later turn. You might be okay with just the 70%. And this is where we come back to standard deviations and those those sigmas and all of that. But this is also going back to calculating risk. Literally, Sean was just now talking about how to mathematically calculate risk. Absolutely. Risk is the point of this. Is You, you do have to make risk. Nothing is guaranteed. Mm-hmm. But you can get closer and closer to guaranteed by learning how to work these math. And this is why we tell you in other episodes, like, learn how to make these calculations on the fly. This is why Math Hammer is useful in the context of an actual tournament itself, is you can say, okay, I need to kill those guardsmen on the objective. How many of my tactical squads do I need to move in or range to do that? Yes. Because then you can make that rough calculation, and it doesn't have to be exact. You don't actually need to go through and math out what your sigmas are, but having the intuition for this, for having corrected your personal intuitions by learning the math here, you can say, well, I know one squad won't be enough. 
two squads probably will be, but I'm going to lose the game if I don't get him off that objective, so I'm going to move all three squads up next to him. Mm-hmm. And this is where learning to develop this ability to calculate, or not even just to calculate, but to understand the math, is very important in tournaments. Yes. And understanding how certain things affect the math. For example, the 9-inch charge off Deep Strike. Yes, very It's 27-point-something percent chance likely. Most people round that off to a third. It's a little less than that. It's barely over a quarter. Yeah, wow. it's it's basically a quarter. That might be a great way to think about it. And that is very realistic. I've done that. Mm -hmm. I have access to rerolls for charge rolls, which is a great warlord. Yeah, it's, it's super helpful. Brings you up to almost 50%. And you've probably heard that number before. But the question is, do you know how to actually calculate that number yourself? Mm -hmm. Because when you, ha when you have the ability to calculate that number yourself, then you can look at all the complicating factors. Do you have command points available? You can use a command point to reroll one of those dice, which brings the number up even more. Yeah, for that roll. Do you have a plus one to your charge roll or a plus two? Because that also changes the math a lot. Or do you have a minus two because that person's sitting in a crater? Yep. And knowing how to calculate those numbers and say, what are my chances of this working, is extremely important because it allows you to figure those odds and help make decisions over the course of the game. Yes. And I can tell you right now, back to the coin flipper, it's entirely possible all the grenades fail their charge. Sure. I've done it more than once. It, it can certainly happen, but knowing the odds of that happening and being willing to take an informed risk rather than an uninformed one is why Math Hammer is so important. Exactly. So let's talk about another one that we see thrown around a lot in Math Hammer discussions, which is points per something. It might be points per wound inflicted or points per wound taken, depending on whether you're talking offensive or defensive. Mm-hmm. It might be points per smite cast or whatever it is. This is often used by the guy who over relies on Math Hammer, who says, my army is the most mathematically efficient possible thing. Yes, because I found the most, the best way to deal damage to rhinos efficiently is blank. Again, you didn't take into consideration how tough the object was. Well, specifically, he might have, he might be right. You know, this is the most efficient way to kill a rhino. But not everything is a rhino. There are toughness 8 chassis out there, and if you're using a strength 7 gun, suddenly your math changes a lot when you're shooting at toughness 8. Mm -hmm. um, or simultaneously, there are a lot of toughness 6 vehicles out there, and suddenly that weapon that you're like, well, that's not really any good, is like, oh, it's actually very good against toughness 6. Mm -hmm. And this is where knowing the math is important, and this is where it comes back to assumptions. Yes. The assumptions you make will inform which choices are the most efficient. But, that said, there are some weapons that are just better than others. Yes. I've done the math on Psy Cannons. They're really good at killing infantry. They are not good at killing anything else. Yes. Or Meltaguns and Plasma Guns. Like, you don't see Meltaguns very often in this edition. The reason is that Plasma Guns are pretty much just better. Mm-hmm. People have done the math, and they've been able to say, like, you know, if you assume you're at 12 inches, which is a pretty good assumption, because outside of 12 inches, a melted gun doesn't do very much, mm -hmm. uh, then the plasma gun is virtually always better than the melted gun. It's got a second shot, which makes it all that more easier to get through. More reliable. Yep, and it has fixed damage, so it's just not all over the place. Exactly. And let's be fair here. There are several assumptions built into that, because we're assuming you overcharge, and we are assuming there are no penalties to hit, and we are assuming that you're fine with the model that overcharges the weapon dying. Yes. Those are all assumptions that we've made for particular reasons, because we have looked at the addition and said, these are things that are likely to happen. But you can only make those assumptions if you understand what the math means and you have the game experience to know what sort of things are likely to occur over the game. Because we can say most units in the game don't have a hit penalty. So we can assume that there are no hit penalties here. Yes. Or that I have a reroll or whatever. Yes. Flip side is I'm going to assume I'm playing a Lytok Eldar and that I have this minus one hit penalty. How's my game against Eldar now? Right, because now you can make your calculation with a different set of assumptions and see if it comes out drastically different in some respect. And that may inform you, like, 
okay, well, this weapon is less efficient in most circumstances, but it is more efficient in this circumstance, I may need to take several of those in order to shore up my matchup against a given army. Yes, and if you know that Eldar's rampant in your meta, you've got to play for him, so you need to make the math with assumptions with them in mind. Exactly. Or that may be a particular weakness of your list, like everything else on my list deals with things very well, but I have no way to handle Eldar. What's my best gun against Eldar? Yeah. Calculating your points per whatever, it can be very valuable, and to be entirely clear, that's just taking your expected result, say, you know, a marine deals X wounds to this target, and dividing it by the cost. And that tells you how many points you have to pay to get a given result, Mm -hmm. on average. Again, doesn't tell you anything about variability, doesn't tell you a lot of other factors, but it does inform which weapons will be better against given things, for their cost, because, like, you often, it's like, a LAS cannon is better than a bolt gun, but it also costs more, and points per wound dealt, or points per wound taken, tells you how you can relate cost to effectiveness. Yes, and it also tells you things like, again, when we talk about the nickel and diming of upgrades, like, oh, it's only five points, well, now the statistics will tell you that five points doesn't ever come into effect. Sure. Um, you can say, like, well, you know, you, you did only pay 5 or 10 points for that upgrade, but it worsened all of your numbers by those 5 or 10 points on your, your cost per wound, your cost per damage dealt, all that sort of thing. And if it doesn't come into play, then all you've done is made yourself worse. Mm-hmm. So, one last thing I want to throw in here, and this is kind of an aside, but I think it's one that is useful for people to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a uh, actually a cute little bit of statistics trivia that back around the turn of the 20th century, just after World War I, there was a guy named Lanchester who decided to do some calculations about shooting in combat and the rate at which armies kill each other. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of interesting stuff, had some a couple different equations that he used for a couple different kinds of situations. The one we're particularly interested in is called Lanchester's Square Law. And it basically says, if you have two groups of guys with rifles Mm -hmm. who have a given accuracy, and you can adjust it for different sorts of accuracies depending on what you're expecting, Mm -hmm. uh, how quickly do they kill each other and who ends up winning? And the math of it is actually very neat, but the long and short of it is that he discovered a little kind of fact that a lot of people understood to some degree, but is much easier to express with numbers, which is to say, basically... The bigger the disparity in size is, the more quickly things end. That if you have, say, 10 guys fighting 50 guys, it's not a matter of, you know, 10 versus 50, so you're left with 50 guys left at the end, uh, from the victorious side, obviously the larger side in this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it ends up being with it, ends up being, is more that the 50 guys kill the 10 guys and lose almost no one themselves. Yeah. Whereas if you have, say, one guy fight 48 guys and then eight guys fight two guys, mm-hmm. which is to say you split the battle up into two smaller components, the eight guys will kill the two guys and the 40 guy, 49 guys will, will kill that one guy real hard. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because this is how defeat in detail works. This is why, even if you have less firepower than your opponent, If you can choose where the battles are and how they happen, you can still win by using a a larger portion of your force against a smaller portion of their force. If your opponent has 120 orcs and you've got 30 space marines, you're in a bad way. Yes. Because those 120 orcs are going to kill your 30 space marines, and they're going to do it losing almost none of their own models. But 30 space marines can kill 30 orcs, if the other 90 orcs don't get to participate in the battle. Yes. And 30 space marines will kill 30 orcs pretty well. And then next turn, you have 30 space marines fight 30 orcs again. And then the turn after that, 30 space marines fight 30 orcs again. This is where this square law is important, because if you can section the battle off, you are mathematically at a huge advantage if you get to choose how the engagements happen. This is why tempo is important. Yes. This is the math explaining tempo. 
Yes, uh, and if, if you're interested in this, you're kind of curious about how this works, by all means, look up uh, Lanchester Square Law. It's actually a very interesting subject if you are into war history or trivia, but discussing it in detail is probably beyond the scope of this podcast. I think we covered it pretty well already. So, Jalen, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we wrap the episode up? Just the last thing here is... As I stated earlier, sometimes what you're going to do is you're going to learn the math, and then you just need to learn the important math. Yes. You don't have to have every one of these equations memorized. You just need to have a good feel for roughly what happens. Exactly. As I said, I expect my granites to hit two to three if I'm in rapid fire. Mm -hmm. Ooh. I just feel that. Right. I know to compensate about 20% for my biases. Right. Basically, when you can get to the point where I'm at, that's good enough. Mm -hmm. Being able to make that estimation is what is so important about this math hammer and being able to calculate these probabilities is where you can say, what is the most likely result? What What are my acceptable bounds of randomness? And how far off of the average am I willing to accept? Yes. Because if you don't really care if that one guy dies, maybe you just shoot one gun at him. You're just sort of like, well, I'll probably hit him two-ish times, wound him one-ish times, and maybe he fails to save, and maybe he doesn't. But if it's that game winning, like if that guy's still standing at the end of this turn, I lose the game, you're going to need to put way more than one Storm Bolter into him. Probably two, maybe three. At least two or three. I wouldn't feel comfortable with less than four, probably. Well, uh, you're, we're talking about a granite example here. I may not have the models to do that. That's true. You know, it's also going to be, again, assumptions. How many guns do you have left? What else do you need to do this turn? Exactly. There are a lot of assumptions going in all of these. But if you have the math and you understand how it works and what it's likely to do then you can make your decisions based off of those assumptions and say, well, I need to kill him, but I also need to do this other thing. That's the other thing about assumptions. Try making different assumptions and seeing how it changes the math, because now you understand how your assumptions, how an assumption actually affects things. Because not everyone realizes that, and that's something I really advise doing. Yes. You do need to change what your assumptions are if you want to sort of change the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the, your, your assumptions can have a major change on the outcome, depending on what they are. Yep. Hopefully, we've all been able to get a little bit better grasp on what Math Hammer is and how it works and how you can use it. If you have questions, you want uh, some advice on this, or there's something you think we got wrong, there's probably something we got wrong in here. I I have no doubt there is a statistics major off fuming somewhere about how we oversimplify mean and median and mode and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, And uh, we have a million apologies for that person, but there's just not time to cover it. Uh, We can't teach you a four-year degree in just under an hour. You'll have to forgive our drastic oversimplification of this subject. But if you want to talk about it some more, uh, and you have questions, or you have a site that you think is really useful that you would love to have us link, uh, you can contact us through our email, which is inthefinesthour at Mm gmail.com, or on Patreon, or on Facebook. And if you sign up for our Patreon, then you can get access to our Discord, where you have a 24-7 chat with us and the other Patreons, and you can discuss all this sort of thing and, you know, what the math is and how it works out and why you'd use it the way you would. We'd also like to give a thanks not only to our Patreons for helping keeping this whole thing running, but also to our sponsors, uh, specifically Dank Muse, who has provided the intro intermission out music for our episodes. You can find him on YouTube as well as SoundCloud and Spotify. Also thanking Rylan Woodrow for doing our amazing art. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook. And Sherman. Oh, yes. She is a Sherman now, isn't she? She is. Who you can find at Old Dog New Trick Studios. She did our t-shirts. Yes. And if you have any advertising opportunities for us, tournaments, just general things you want to advertise, hopefully 40k related, let us know. We have an email. We're happy talking to you. So what are we talking about next week, Shailene? It involves wogging really loudly, and I just don't want to pitch the mic. Hmm. Um, I'm going to guess that you mean orcs from that? I was talking about grots, but sure. 
Uh, do grots wog all that often? They wog half-heartedly. Okay, I was under the assumption that grogs mostly wagged, and it was just sort of like... I imagine they try to wog, and it's adorable, but orcs don't care. Yes, for those who haven't figured it out already, we will be discussing the orc horde archetype, and talking about not only how you can beat it, but also how you can win with it, and why it is such a major force in tournaments these days. Yes. The green tide returns. Yeah, green tide is a really good strategy. You should watch out for it. Mm-hmm. So, for In the Finest Hour, I am Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. Thanks for listening. Wow.